All right, good morning. I woke up this morning and um, I got this text message uh, as soon as I rolled out of bed um, uh, from a young lady, and it just uh, has a whole bunch of the little fire icons. And it says, I just had the biggest emotional and spiritual awakening. I need to talk, talk to you as soon as possible. And that's all I got. And so I rolled out of bed and I was like, man, I wonder what, this is somebody who I haven't talked to in, in, in several years. And um, I said, man, that is, this is crazy. I, I'm going to go ahead and call her. So early this morning, I was on the phone. And um, first, let me give you the backstory. Uh, a few years ago, I was in, in uh, uh, I was at a youth conference in Texas, and uh, this young lady wanted to talk to me. So we were in a park sitting there, and she goes, uh, nobody loves me. I am, I am unloved. And I said, I care for you. And she said, I don't accept that. I said, that's fine. I said, you know, you know God loves you, right? And I said, can I just say a prayer over you? And, and uh, so I prayed with her in the park. And while we were praying, it started raining. Uh, and I said, amen. And, and she never bowed her head. She never closed her eyes. Not that I care about that stuff. But she stared straight at me. And she said, after the amen, right? She said, I don't accept it. And I said, what do you mean you don't accept it? She says, I don't accept God's love. I said, I didn't ask you if you accepted God's love. I don't accept that it's raining right now. And she laughed about it. And I said, do you understand what I just told you? It's raining. It doesn't matter whether you accept it or not. It's raining. It doesn't matter whether you accept it or not. God loves you. And I said, and I do too. And I'll be praying that you come to a realization of what that means in your life. And um, she uh, called me this morning and she said, I accept it. it was been, it's been years, right? And I was like, whoa, you know, I just wake up. I was like, man, not that you give up, but wow, you know, and it's, it's God's working. The context that we're in, I want to get you to open up there. This is, uh, this is um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 12 uh, and show you something that's really cool. Um, after Paul's first letter to Corinth, man, when he wrote the Corinthians, um, he laid it on hard in 1 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, man, there's a whole lot going on, but he's sharing the story about the fact that I don't know where you are. And so when you see this language that your mind is going to want to skip over, when you start reading about, man, our ministry was going great in Troas, which is another name for Troy. Actually, his ministry was in that area of Troy. He goes, everything is going great, but there's a burden on my heart. And that burden was you. I don't know how you're doing. And so he, when you keep seeing him saying, I couldn't wait to see Titus. I couldn't wait to see him. I needed to talk to Titus. The reason, you don't find this out until chapter 7, by the way, but the reason is because Titus carried the report of how the Corinthians were doing. And so when you see that, don't just skip over it. That's why he cares so much. I needed to know how you were doing. You've been on my mind. I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. I wanted to know, right? And so what Paul does in this context, is, and he does this in his letters a lot, and we have to be patient with it. In Hebrews and Romans and Corinthians, he does this all, the, all over the place where he takes a thought and he stops and he changes subjects. 
And he doesn't come back to the original thought sometimes for chapters and chapters and chapters. And so we lose where he's going. And that's why it's sometimes hard to read Paul. And you know he does that, you know. So this thought that he's going to pick up, he's not going to carry until he gets to chapter 7. He's going to go on a huge segue and talk about us as being the Roma of Christ, letters from Christ, ambassadors for Christ, jars of clay, tents. He's going to use a lot of metaphors for who we are in this world. Um, But this is how the text starts. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind. Get this. Everything is going great in my ministry. Everything is going great in my life. But I have no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. And again, the reason he's waiting at Titus is he's got to know about the Corinthians. And he goes on and he says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Now I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time with these verses and talk about why this means so much. First thing is nothing offends me more. And I'm like, I'm, I loved, I loved uh, Brad's words when he was up here earlier. He talked about unworthiness and feeling unworthy. And this text actually is going to talk about this quite a bit, this idea of unworthiness. And the truth is, knowing that you're unworthy and knowing that you don't deserve, that I get. But nothing offends me more than to be called fake. Uh, nothing offends me more than to be called insincere or, or not genuine. Those are cutting words to me. Because I don't think there's anything more important in my spiritual walk than to, man, I'm not going to be worthy. I'm messed up. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm totally inadequate. But I'm not fake. And what's crazy is, and this has given me so much encouragement, is Paul was called fake. And frequently. And then Corinth, and guess what? He was also accused of being weak. Now, can you imagine, I don't, how many of y'all, raise your hand if you've seen the movie on Paul. Have y'all seen it? It just came out. It's in theaters. Like two of us? Are y'all, see, y'all go see this movie. No, it's incredible. And, I, and y'all that know me, I don't even like religious movies very much. Usually, this was incredible. And, and I mean, I was on fire after this movie. I was like, they did such a good job on Paul. But get this. And they brought this out. This is a man that used to drag Christians off in chains. Used to take them as prisoners. He would go from village to village, find them, put them in chains. He would, he would stand there and stone them. Stephen, right? He would stand there and stone them. He'd bring them in chains. And now Corinth and his, his adversaries call him weak. And you know what he says in 1 Corinthians 4? He says, what, what do you prefer? Would you rather me come with chains and whips? And you, is that what you want? Because they accused him of being weak. And I was like, man, of all people to accuse of being weak, you just called Saul weak? You don't know this man. And then a man who gave up a life of privilege, a life of prestige, a life of probably great wealth, and gave his life, to endless travels, endless beatings, endless shipwrecks, endless defamation, endless all of this, leaving a region where he was known as Saul and going out where he was known as a hillbilly from Jerusalem. 
He gave up all of that, and now he's called fake. And people call, call him disingenuous. And it's crazy to me. It gives me so much courage um, that that's what's going on in this context. And I'm going to kind of get into what, what, what's happening there. But he says this, but thanks be to God. And I love the segue he does here. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. I want to read how this, how this is in the voice. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons why I like the way the voice translates this and other areas I don't, but this is what it says. Yet I'm so thankful to God who always marches us to victory under the banner of the anointed one. And through us, he spreads the beautiful fragrance of his knowledge to every corner of the earth. In a turbulent world where people are either dying or being rescued, we are the sweet smell of the anointed to God our Father. To those who are dying, they smell the stench of death in us. And to those being rescued, we are the unmistakable scent of life. Who's worthy for this calling? For we're not like the others who sell the word of God like a commodity. Do not be mistaken. Our words come from God and the utmost with the utmost sincerity, always spoken through the anointed and the presence of God. I love the way he words what he just said, but there's one problem. And, and I don't talk about Greek that much here, but it's actually super important in this context because when he says God always leads us in triumphal procession, Some of your versions, King James, The Voice, some of these, give the impression that he's saying, man, praise God, who cares? We have the victory in Christ. And let me tell you, that's in other books of the Bible. That's in other passages. You do have victory in Christ. But I'm going to tell you, that is not at all what this passage is saying. The Greek won't allow for it, and the parallel passages won't allow for it. He is saying this, praise be to Christ who has taken me captive in his chain." I want to tell you what that meant to them because this word, triumphal procession, comes from a Greek word. That, and in fact, our word triumph comes from a song that was sung to the god Jupiter. And what they would do when a Roman military figure would come back from wars, um, a leader of, of one of the great legions, after they had won an incredible war, and this, this history, give me three minutes of history here, this history is preserved in great detail by Livy, Plutarch, Diocasius, Josephus, and many others to the detail. And this is what we know about this procession. They would come back and at the head, and they would see this parade marching into Rome. And at the head of the parade, use your imagination. I want you to picture this. The magistrates in the Senate dressed in purple and white, followed by the trumpeters and some of the spoils of war, vessels of gold and the beaks of ships. Then the flute players came after that. After the flute players, white oxen that were destined to be sacrificed on the Capitoline Hill at the Temple of Jupiter. Then the representatives of the conquered territory and cages and lines of chains were drawn where the leaders and kings and dignitaries, they would only bring back these people in this parade. I mean, one time you have a crown on your head, you're known as somebody great. And now you're being led in a chain and you are part of the procession to show we conquered kings and we've made them slaves. And after the dignitaries and kings, the, um, the triumphator wore the garb of Jupiter. He, was, he would paint his face red um, to represent the god Mars. And he would dress in, in white and purple and he would hold a scepter in his left hand. And he was being honored and the gods were being honored for giving them the victory. And the crowds would shout out, Io triumphe, which means hail the victor. And then at the Porta Triumphalis, he would give a speech 
praising his legions, and then sacrifices were made to the god Jupiter on the Capitoline Hill. And so this whole procession was famous in Roman culture. There's something they knew about. And he said, Christ leads us in this triumphant as his prisoners. Now that bothered me, but he also says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 4.9. And he says the same thing in Colossians 2.15. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 4. It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. And so this idea of being led and me being Christ captive and me taking me, man, that at first that bothered me so bad. And I was thinking, that's not a good analogy. I like Revelation where it says, no, I'm riding on a white horse behind him. He's given me this victory. And, and Paul throughout his letters uses the word doulos to describe himself. A slave and a bondservant of Christ taken captive to do his will. I belong to him. This is what I am. And it's so beautiful in this context because he's saying this. He's saying throughout the world, nothing has gone the way I intended it to go. Nothing in my ministry has gone, man. I'm, I'm in Troas one minute. I'm over here the next minute. I, I'm so concerned with the church in Corinth. I'm so concerned with the church everywhere. I have so many failures. I have so many There's so much that's just out of my control. And then he says this, but praise God. Praise God that he has led me who once lived my life for me. I was a king. I was a dignitary. I owned my own life and he has led me through this universe and through my gospel of how he transformed me. I go wherever he leads me so that his glory would shine and not my own. So that somehow through me, my life is no longer about me. And what I'm going to tell you ahead of time is he's introducing a theme that he's going to carry into the whole first half of this book. And the theme is this, whether we're talking about jars of clay, the aroma of Christ, letters from Christ, whatever it is, the message is this, your life is no longer about you. Your life isn't about you. It's not about your success. It's not about you. It's just not. Your life is now hidden with God in Christ. And everything about me is to say he is the victor. He is the one that's triumphant. He is the one that is, is, is leading. And so that's why he says, and throughout the context of his letters, he, he always says, whether it's in my sufferings, whether it's in my victories, it doesn't matter. Whether it's in my life, whether it's in my death, it doesn't matter. So long as Christ is glorified in who I am. And that is the huge message that he's going to be bringing out in this. And then he says this. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Um, the reason this meant so much to me is, is um, I think I just discovered something a couple of days ago that, that I think everybody might have known. I don't know, but I, I'm still learning a whole lot. But when he says we are the aroma of Christ... He's, he's referring to the sacrifice of Christ. That, you know how throughout the Old Testament, when, when it says like a bull was offered or something was offered and a burnt offering is given throughout Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, it represented, it says there's a burnt offering and then it would follow an aroma pleasing to the Lord. From that sacrifice that was Christ's sacrifice, I'm the aroma of the very sacrifice of Christ being spread out. Can you imagine what Jerusalem smelled like? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Sacrifices offered daily? 
I mean, I think it probably smelled really good, um, combined with the smell of butchering, which is nasty. But the smell of the sacrifices coming up, the barbecue that was endless in Jerusalem, right? Um, The greatest smell in the world. And I was thinking about why he says, to those who are being saved, it's the aroma of life, right? But we're the aroma of those who are being saved and the aroma among those who are perishing. To one, the aroma of life. To the other, aroma of death. And I was thinking about smells that divide us. So I made a list. I was going to see what you thought of my list here. Fresh-baked bread. I think we are all on the same page, I hope, on fresh-baked bread. Bacon, I would say 90% of us like bacon and the smell of bacon. Cilantro. Raise your hand if you like the smell of cilantro. Raise your hand if you hate the smell of cilantro. I knew that there'd be some. That's where you start to divide. Brad thinks it smells... You, right? Thinks it smells like soap or tastes like soap? That's... It's sad. It's the best smell. (laughs) Coffee, the ocean. For me, a hot blacktop after a rain. Incredible. One of my favorite smells that nobody likes is the smell of freshly laid tar. I love that smell. Um, Crayons. I have a candle that smells like sunscreen. Because I love that smell so much. I would burn it in my office and Brad was threatening to just throw it away because he hates that smell. So one day I I lit it and I hid it in Brad's office. (laughs) And he came into my office and he goes, get rid of your candle. I said, I'm not burning a candle in here. And he goes, are you sure? And I said, I'm positive. I'm not burning a candle in here, right? Took him so long to find the candle that was in his office, right? I... There's smells that divide us. And I was reading an article this morning. I'm going to come back to my text here. I was reading an article this morning. Why, why does a smell mean a lot to one person? Why does another person hate it? And, it, and the article I was reading was a scientific article. said it's all nurture and not nature. Everything, all of your smells, you connect with a memory. Whether you realize it or not, most of your smells, you relate to a memory. Um, and that is what can create a hatred for the smell or a love for the smell. I don't know what cilantro did to you as a kid, but, <laughs> but you, somehow you connect the two. But as the aroma of Christ, he's saying this. When you would come and you recognize, and I'm going to talk a lot about our influence, and this actually gets into evangelism, because everything Paul is going to talk about in the coming chapters have to do with what evangelism looks like and what sincerity looks like. And I think the reason why is because When we go out into the world and my life is lived in Christ and my message and my gospel is alive in who I am as a person, that brings life. Because people, people, when we are living in Christ, people get to experience the relationship with the God they love through us. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. I'm going to make it personal to me. As somebody who is deeply in love with God, and I am, I am deeply in love with my God, but I have felt so disconnected from God all my life. It's one of these things where it's like, I love you, but sometimes I just don't know. I don't feel like you're there. And having that struggle and then coming into contact with people, many of you, and coming into contact with somebody that have like, I saw my father through you. 
I saw him in you. And I mean this personal, intimate relationship that I'm striving for with my God. For me to encounter that God in somebody else is the aroma of life to me. But to others, just the reminder of what we represent, what we stand for, think about it. True or not true doesn't matter. The very fact that we stand here, we remind people of this one fact. You are going to die. That life as you know it will end. And that relationship you have with your children, with your wife, with your job, with your life, with everything that you know will end. And that's a fact. It is the aroma of death. And people don't like it. People don't like to be reminded of that and hate it. I was getting my hair cut a couple days ago. That same scenario that happens every time. She asked me what I did for a living. I need to find a better answer, I guess. I'm a minister. And I mean, it was dead silent for five minutes. It was so awkward. And I was like, man, this lady hates me. She doesn't have a clue who I am. She hates me because of what I do. And then the truth came out. It was silent for probably the longest five minutes ever. And she goes, my dad was a minister. And uh, I was like, oh boy, there's a story. <laughs> I'm like so scared about what's happening here. And I was, I was so sensitive in my mind about how to share who I am and what I am in Christ and what Christ has done in my life. And we actually ended up having a beautiful conversation. But there was an analogy that was used in this movie on Paul that I have to share with you that I thought was so powerful. Luke is in this movie, and Luke is coming to see Paul in prison. And Luke, at one point, they took license, right? But Luke loses it. And he just says, we're dying. We're in Rome. He's in a prison in Rome, and he says, we're dying. Christians are being burned to light up the streets. And there's even a graphic scene where you see him walk down the street that's lit up by burning Christians. People are dying. We're being led into the arena. He says, Paul, what is this about? And Paul goes, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It was amazing how much of the movie is just quoting the Bible. And he says, we're sheep to be slaughtered. And he goes, I don't get it. He goes, this seems so wrong. We need to fight. And Paul Paul says this in the movie. He says, have you ever been to the ocean, Luke? Have you ever stood in the ocean? Have you ever looked out at the endless ocean? He said, have you ever just reached down and tried to pick up the water with your hands? And just watch the water run through your fingers. That's this life. That's it. And he says, and all you can do is hold on to this little thing and watch it run through your fingers. And he says, that is not what I will live for. And that's what no man should live for. And he said, the sea is what I'm living for. And that's what Christ came to bring. And I love that analogy so much because I thought about how true that was. The aroma of death to some. We're dying daily. But the aroma of life to others because they're willing to stop and consider the fact that this life is so short. When I began sharing the gospel with people, I love something that was said in class this morning. Um, Simply the the quote, somebody said, our efforts will be imperfect. And I thought about how true that is and how that much that has scared me away from evangelism so many times in my life because of how many times I've done it wrong. Um, personal story I'll share with you is, is uh, and my parents know this. I don't know if Starla is in here, but she was a witness to this too. 
when I was just a teenager and I became a believer in Christ, um, I probably knocked on every door in North Austin. I, I went door to door as a teenager to most, I mean, all over that neighborhood. And then when I became a youth minister, other neighborhoods, I knocked on a lot of doors. And I went and got into a lot of debates with people, and, and I would go and I would say, have you heard of Jesus? Um, when I moved to Lubbock, they wanted to get us involved in campus ministry, and so I would go on Texas Tech, and I was fearless. I'll give myself that. I was fearless. And I went into the Texas Tech library. This is one of the earliest memories I have of, of being humiliated with my efforts to share the gospel. I went into the Texas Tech library and saw a table where the football team was sitting and about five of them studying together at a table. And I said, I don't respect the library rules. This is the gospel of Christ. I don't care how big you are. This is the gospel of Christ. I went and sat there and I said, have you heard of Jesus? Can you imagine what the response was? It was worse than a negative response. This huge lineman sat across from me and just looked up at me and stared at me. And I just rambled with the most uncomfortable ramblings you can possibly imagine. And I walked away from the table. And I will never forget how awkward that was. Um... I, when I lived in Ecuador, I had a speaker, a portable speaker and a microphone, and I would get on buses and in parks and in town squares and preach and talk to people afterwards. Man, I've done this in so many different ways. And I know that oftentimes I've turned people away from Christ because of the way I've shared Christ, probably even here. I've turned people away because of the way I tried. But here's one thing I will say about myself that God has given me peace in. At least I cared enough to try. Um, I'm embarrassed and humiliated about the ways I have done this. I am. Even here, I've been embarrassed and humiliated by my efforts. But I loved God enough to try. And I praise God that he at least put a genuine spirit in me that loved him enough that I would try. I've grown in ways that I want to be more effective and, and how to do this. But what I want to encourage you and myself not to do is don't look at it and say, there's so many wrong ways to do this, I'm not going to do it. That, I think, is the temptation. And I think we have to somehow look at it and say, God, give me the wisdom to share the gospel of Christ with clarity, with sincerity, with purity, and with courage. And show me the wisdom of what that looks like. Um, We have to engage somehow. And so the first thing I wanted to tell you is our influence requires our proximity. It requires our being there. It requires our being involved. It requires our clarity. There's a problem with me not wanting to smell bad and not and wanting to smell good and what happens is i become so politically correct about how i share the gospel that i become odorless i don't have a smell at all in this world i'm scared to even say and i've seen this too much in my ministry in fort collins i cannot stand it when somebody is ashamed or afraid to say jesus christ is lord
that means something. And it's not something we should lose the courage to be able to say, I am a Christian. Jesus Christ is Lord. But most importantly in this context, influence requires authenticity. It requires our walk before God. So the challenge I want to give you, uh, kind of closing out this context, um, boy, I just missed a lot of these verses. Um, But let me just go ahead and pick up in verse 16 and give you a final challenge here. To the one... We are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Who is equal to such a task? This goes into Brad's words this morning. Unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Ooh, This is one of the clutch verses in 2 Corinthians to me. When he says this, with sincerity, we speak before God, like men sent from God. Um, When you share the gospel and when you have the courage to stand up and represent, and it needs to be in our tongue and it needs to be in our life and it needs to be in our actions. But when you have the courage to do it, don't think about, and this is something I do frequently when I preach or I teach a class. Don't think about this as much as you think about this. You stand before God when you speak. That gives you sincerity. And so my question for you, these parts to it, will you speak as though you're from God? Will you speak as though you're before God? Will you speak as though you're in Christ? You are a minister, every single one of you. In every aspect, in every sphere of your life. Whether I'm speaking to husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, sons, daughters, Sunday school teachers, or evangelists. Every one of you represents Christ. As a parent, you will be the first representation your child ever gets in this world of Jesus Christ. How about that for putting a weight on you? That is a burden I just put on you. You will be the very first representation of Christ to that child that they will ever see. I want you to feel the weight Paul feels in this context. I am the aroma of Christ in this world. When I go out into this world, this is somebody coming into contact with Christ through me and through my words. And all of the negativity right now, I'm going to close, all the negativity right now that Fort Collins and northern Colorado and most of Western culture right now has towards religion, all of that negativity that's there, because their their, their world is watching YouTube videos of people making fun of Christianity. That's the reality of it. That's their world. And so when, when people have this mindset of what Christ is, and half of it, let's face it, is rooted in reality. Half of it is rooted in the fact that just like Paul was here in Corinth, there's people out there peddling the word of God for profit. There's people out there that are insincere. There are people out there that have horrible gospels. And somehow I have to go into this world and know with full confidence that, and I'm going to tell you this as my family, I'm going to be wrong a lot. I hope it's not a lot. I'm going to be wrong. I am going to misrepresent Christ a lot, probably. As a person. But I will not be insincere. 
I will not be fake. I will not be called a hypocrite, and I am not a hypocrite. I refuse that language. I'm a sinner, but I'm not a pretender. That is so important to know with full confidence, and I believe this in you, that you are in God and you are sent from God. And I pray that you leave here today and in the coming weeks, because this doesn't get less heavy, I pray that you leave with the burden of knowing that you're in God. There's a burden there. And there's a burden in knowing that you represent him. And going out and saying, it is a responsibility of me to represent him well in this world. And to represent him with authenticity. 1 Corinthians 10 said, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In everything that you do, I thought I'd close with a picture of a barbecue pit. Because somebody from Texas, I, uh, I'm a huge critic of barbecue. I, I, I'm not saying anything you don't know about me. Um, Joe Goldman, Jason Richter, Brad and I, we could go on endless discussions of what barbecue is supposed to look like, taste like, everything. I went to a restaurant here in Fort Collins yesterday. I won't give the name of it because I don't want to bring it bad. But it's known for being good barbecue. It was not good barbecue. (laughs) There was no smoke ring on that meat. It was so moist, and I know why it was moist. They cheated. That didn't come from the fat. That came from putting beef broth in there. I know how you cheat. That was nasty barbecue. And the reason why was because, I shouldn't say nasty, is because it was flavorless. It had no flavor. It had no smell. Just eat it, and it was like, it was meat. But it just wasn't there. And I just was sitting there doing this lesson, and I thought, man, I don't want that to be me in Christ. How do you know you're in Christ when everybody else thinks you're fake, and are people going to judge you or whatever else? How do you know you're in Christ? Ooh, I like what Paul says. I bear on my body the marks of a disciple. He actually says that at one point. Don't accuse me of being fake. I bear on my body the marks of a disciple. And you know that boy could have pulled up his shirt and showed you the marks. I gave my life for this. I've been beaten for this. I've gone through abuse for this. I've gone through a whole lot of junk in my life for this. And I can't boast in who I am as a person. But I can boast in Christ and how I praise God he took me captive. And how I praise God, he has led me through this world at every turn. He has led me through and said, look at what I did in this man. Look at what I accomplished in this man. I pray that God would lead us captive in his train. Uh, let's, let's come before him in prayer. And, and uh, uh, Father, I just want to come before you. And uh, I'm asking for clarity for your body today and for your people today. Um. I pray, I pray that we would be clear and that we would be bold and that we would understand our, our mission as representatives of your. I, I thank you for what a brother here said to me the other day. I pray that you would arm us with a sense of urgency and that you'd give us wisdom to share your word in our lives and in our conduct and in our speech with clarity, with certainty, with conviction, but with authenticity. 
I pray that you would move your body more into your image, like we were talking about in class this morning. I pray that you would take the body that is here and that we would be conformed to the very image of Christ and what we are doing and where you are leading us in this world. And I pray, Father, for peace and harmony in your body, that you will not allow at Meadowlark in northern Colorado right now, you won't allow distractions to come in. They're not from you. That we will not become busy bodies, that we won't become busy about things that aren't your business but we'd be business, busy in your work. And I pray that the very aroma of Christ in us, I pray that when people smell us, when people see us, they see the Lord that has been leading them all along. And so I ask for authenticity. I don't even need to ask for authenticity. I, I know that we're authentic in you. I pray, Father, that we would walk in such a way that the world knows it. Um, I love you, God, so much for this book and the way you've impacted my life through it. And I pray, God, that you would use it in families and in lives today to conform us, to help focus us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together. Thank you.